0: Church family, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. And this morning I'm going to read to you from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the first chapter, verses 18 through 25. So Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. The Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Emmanuel. Thank you for one who has saved us from our sins. But, Father, as we read the Scripture, as we've read it here and continue, we will see that not everyone was um, obedient or excited or humble when Jesus came into the world. There were others who opposed him, and even violently so. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name you would give us grace as we study the Word of God, that really it's not your Word that's under examination, it's us. And so, Father, we trust you. We, We trust that your Word is good that you were good, that you are faithful, and you will use your word to help us, not to harm us, to correct us, uh, and not to condemn us, and we are praying for ourselves that as we look and think and consider what your word says, that we would be a people who see that we need Jesus and that he indeed is uh, our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you may be seated. Uh, we're entering that season. Some of you got your Christmas tree up, and some of you may not. And and as you go around town, the the decorations are springing up. And I was reading um, Tim Keller in his book Hidden Christmas. He writes, "Christmas is the only Christian holy day that is also a major secular holiday. Arguably, our culture's biggest. The result is two different celebrations." each observed simultaneously by millions of people. I want to put on the uh, screen a sequence of songs that you will frequently hear at this time of year. The first one uh, that I want you to see is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. No doubt in the coming weeks you'll hear this, and no doubt we'll have the opportunity to sing it together. And I love these lyrics. Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King, Peace on Earth and Mercy Mild. And my favorite lyric probably of any christmas song god and sinners reconciled so wherever you might find yourself if this song comes on and it gets to that point i'm just going to encourage you if you're in target wherever just scream it out you know because that is the hope that we have That's from that lyric that we get this sermon a series title god and sinners reconciled and here's the result of it joyful all ye nations rise join the triumph of the skies with the angelic host proclaim christ is born in bethlehem the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn kings. Wonderful scriptural lyrics, right? And you'll be standing and shopping or traveling, and you got the radio on, and that song will come on. And it'll be followed by this one. Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. I don't know if there'll be snow, but have a cup of cheer. Have a holly jolly Christmas. And when you walk down the street, say hello to friends you know and everyone you meet. We're unlikely to do that one in a worship service. And then this next one by the great theologian Gene Autry. Here comes Santa Claus. Here comes Santa Claus right down Santa Claus Lane. He'll come around when the chimes ring out that it's Christmas morn again. Peace on earth will come to all if we just follow the light. So let's give thanks to the Lord above. That Santa Claus comes tonight. You see it side by side. Something that's a proclamation followed up by, I can, I mean, the angels didn't show up saying, here comes Santa Claus. Next lyric, the next song that will come on, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing, right? And these things exist side by side in in our culture all the time, but it seems to come into sharper and clearer focus that, At this time of the year, right? And uh, so we can take the song lyrics off. But what I want you to see from God's word is when we think about how we have something that's holy and secular going on simultaneously, side by side, here and now. When we open up the pages of scripture, you're going to see the very same thing from the get-go. It's always been this way. As you read the Bible, you'll see when Jesus is born, there's someone like Simeon longing to put his eyes on the Messiah. There's Anna, an elderly widow, as the scripture says, who did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting with prayer night and day, waiting for the redemption of Israel. There's Elizabeth's and Zacharias and Mary's that long for and pray for the Messiah and sing glorious songs about his coming and his, and his arrival. And at the very same time, there were many others, perhaps even most others, who are either completely indifferent or detached or unaware of the Messiah's entry into the world. Or, as we'll see here, there's one who violently opposes. And perhaps the clearest contrast of the seeker and the secular occurs in the early chapters of Matthew's gospel. We've already read about one who will certainly uh, stand in the place of one who humbly is devoted to Christ And then in the very next chapter, the very next section, we meet one who is very much opposed and stands against the arrival of of Christ. So we're going to use these two men. On the one hand, Joseph, who we've already read about this morning. In The very next chapter is a man named Herod. And what we're going to do this morning is a sermon entitled uh, Contrasting Connections to Christ. You would be hard pressed to find two men more different than Joseph and Herod. One a lowly carpenter, the other a powerful king. And as we look at these two men, we'll see a number of interesting contrasts, right? But more than that, we'll also see that they in large measure represent the two approaches all people have to Christ. We will either humbly acknowledge him as Messiah and serve him, or we will strongly oppose him in the vain attempt to be king ourselves and to hold on to a throne that never belonged to us to begin with. Well, in order to do that and to see these contrasts, we need to read a little bit more scripture. So we just read Matthew one eighteen to 25. Now let's read together Matthew chapter 2. And as we do so, I think you'll see that this is what the Holy Spirit is in large measure doing, in my opinion, is here's Joseph, here's Herod, and then here's Joseph, and then here's Herod. And he's putting him these two uh, people side by side for the purpose that we would see the contrast. And not just a uh, note the contrast to some academic exercise, but to note that these are the things that contrast in our own hearts, either seeking him or opposing him. So chapter 2, verse 1, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of, here he is, Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to the rest of the place where the child was. When they, the wise men, saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. So spotlight back to him. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise man, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. the word of the Lord. Let's pray together and then think about the scripture together. Father, thank you for the holy word of the Lord. We pray in Jesus name that we've able to see some things here, of course, contrasting connections to Christ between Joseph and Herod. But also thank you as we read the word, we see over and over that your word will be fulfilled, that no one, no one will keep your word from coming to pass whether uh, they're they're a mighty so-called king like Herod, all people everywhere are ultimately used for your purpose and for your glory. So we seek to be a people who humbly submit to your word rather than uh, in pride resist your word, knowing that ultimately your word will come to pass. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we see these contrasts. Joseph, a humble carpenter, right? And Herod is a powerful king. Herod had friends in high places. He'd been a personal and indeed a childhood friend of Julius Caesar. I mean, if you're ever going to be friends with somebody who's important and influential, that's a pretty good friend to have, right? Uh, And when Julius Caesar was uh, uh, murdered, and ultimately Augustus Caesar came to reign over the Roman Empire, Herod was a friend of his too. Herod ruled over more territory in and around Judea than any king had since Solomon. He was an Arab by ethnicity, an Edomite, which means he was a descendant of Esau. Uh, and, and therefore, he's familiar with Jewish teachings. He's Greek by culture, and he's Roman by sympathy, right? I mean, he's got a, a kind of a, a foot in every pool of water there is to, to place. And he constructed massive building projects. And if you think what's going on on Highway 301 is massive, you should have seen what Herod had going on. He built a massive hippodrome in Jerusalem to host chariot races. Uh, He was able to do what few other people had done. He brought stability to the region. Did you hear what the Bible said? When they heard that there was a king born in Jerusalem, Herod was troubled. Who else was troubled? The Bible just said it. All Jerusalem. You know why? Because Herod had finally brought stability. And here, these are people who'd lived generation after generation after generation of assassinations and political turmoil and all all sorts of intrigue and rival claims to the throne. And so Herod has it, and here comes another claim, it seems, to the throne. Herod was the embodiment in those days of the Pax Romana, and it does happen when he dies, it all falls apart. His sons were hopeless, we'll see one of them in a moment. Uh, in contrast in contrast well before before we move on, we, we should note that the greatest building project that he constructed of all was the temple. Solomon had built uh, uh, this glorious temple, and then at the captivity, the Babylonian captivity, it had fallen into disrepair. Uh, they came back uh, uh, in the latter books of the Old Testament and rebuilt the temple, but it had nowhere near its former glory in solomon 's day so Herod respected feared was by no means loved by his people so he thought an attempt to curry favor with them was to rebuild the temple it would be his lasting legacy In contrast, Joseph does not live in a palace. Joseph's life was not glamorous. Joseph was no king, though he did descend from one David. He had no uh, glorious uh, political uh, castle. He lives in Nazareth, a town with a terrible reputation. He's no political connections. Augustus Caesar does not know his name. The only connection that David has with Caesar is Caesar issues a decree that all the world should be registered. And so Joseph went up from Nazareth to Bethlehem to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, as Luke tells us. And if in that day you stood before Herod, he would have been robed with splendor. Joseph would be dressed as a common and poor man. With our human eyes, one would seem impressive, the other not so much. But I call to your mind, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, the Bible says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It's just a helpful reminder for us. If Herod were alive today, he'd probably have more Twitter followers than most anybody else, and Joseph would have a handful. But you've got to be careful in your life for who it is that you esteem. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And when Almighty God in the fullness of time sent forth his son, as Galatians says, to whom's household is Jesus born? Herod in his palace? No. It's Joseph. Humble. Ordinary. But trusting the Lord, Joseph. Proverbs 22, 1, I love. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. It's a contrast in them. It remains true today that God chooses to work through the praying and faithful serving of his humble servants rather than through the earthly, influential, and politically powerful. So again, in your own heart, do not esteem the prestige of the world more than the humility which the Lord esteems. Because the Bible says God opposes the proud. Make yourself God's enemy. Be proud. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So first, we see that there's a contrast in their prestige. Second, we see that there's a contrast in their personality. We read it together. Don't you see that the arrival of Jesus brought both of their lives a huge interruption for both of them? The arrival of Jesus is not something that they could ignore. And friends, the truth of Jesus always brings interruption to your life. So just real fast. If you've just been going the way you've been going and you've just been going and going and God's not interrupted your life with some glorious truth, I, I, I give you encouragement to get in his word because God is a glorious interrupter of our lives. But notice how Joseph and Herod, they contrast in how they handle the interruption and how they handle the interruption brings into focus the contrast in their personalities. We're going to give a word that will summarize Joseph and then a word that will summarize Herod. The word we'll use for Joseph is that Joseph considers what should be done. Herod, meanwhile, conspires about what should be done. Look at with me again in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And the birth of Jesus took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. It worked a little bit differently in that culture, in that time, and in that place, where uh, really families would uh, come together to really pair up uh, a, a husband and a wife. And there's something called a betrothal, uh, which means that you were devoted to be to be married, uh, but that hadn't come to consummation just yet. You'd enter a period of um, where you were legally married. Uh, it's not like our engagement that can just be broken off uh, any uh, for any number of reasons. They're legally married, but they haven't come to the consummation of their marriage and during that period of time uh which uh uh, just straightforward usually took place for just this for just this reason all right you have usually you you figure this out uh betrothment would last about nine months and while that's going on it's found that mary was with child from the holy spirit well i think we all understand the conclusion that joseph had made in verse 19 in the midst of that unexpected turn of events for him Her husband, Joseph, being a just man. I want you to notice the verbs that are used to describe Joseph. Unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly, but as he considered these things. Something really, really practical here. And it's this, that your uh, likelihood of really hearing from the Lord increases when you become a person who really thinks. All of those words are thinking words, aren't they? Unwilling. What does that imply? There's something he's in his mind, not willing to do. He's resolving. It means he's taking time to make a decision and he's considering these things. Oh, I love Joseph. I mean, Joseph of the Old Testament is great, and Joseph in the New Testament is wonderful as well. He knows the baby's not his. So he's made some conclusions but one thing he's not willing to do is to shame mary it's important for us to see this because we live friends in a shaming culture i don't know what the percentage is uh so i won't measure a guess but a large percentage of our social media is all about shaming all about embarrassing somebody pay hey, attention just for a moment especially um especially my young ladies that are gathered in the congregation just listen to me. Put a lot of distance between you and any man who's willing to shame you, willing to embarrass you, willing to, um, to put his reputation before yours. Conversely, see it as, um, we're, we're back to Herod and Joseph, and the world esteems some things, right, about relationships and about men and about women. Hey, pray that God would give you a heart that could really see a character of Joseph, I assure you, is what will be a blessing for you. A man who considers, uh, I will put it this way, a man who would shame a woman is no man at all. Now, uh, here we have Joseph not willing to shame Mary. And this, friends, I think points to Jesus. Now, Mary, Mary has child conceived of the Holy Spirit. But this points to Jesus because Jesus is a, faithful bridegroom who is unwilling to shame his bride even though his bride who is us right we are guilty of certain things but jesus does not shame us he covers our shame he will save his people from their sins that's what god had said to to um to Joseph, and I love how God, in his sovereignty, comes to a man who's unwilling to shame his bride, to talk about a one who God is coming as a man who is going to cover the shame of his people. Now, you see a contrast between Joseph and Herod, because Herod is not someone who had just shamed multiple wives. He's a man who has killed multiple wives. Joseph takes time to think about things carefully. It's thinking words again. So uh, uh, again, I call to, to, to your uh, attention that we are living increasingly in a thoughtless culture. I mean, all these devices we've got, has this happened to anybody else here? It, it, it leads to you not being able to think carefully, soberly. When's the last time you just took a walk uninterrupted to think about the Lord and his ways and in your own life? I do think, friends, that it's the enemy who wants to blind the minds of unbelievers, as the scripture says. And part of that is that you would never really think about things carefully. Now, Joseph, as he's thinking, he knows something doesn't add up. He knows Mary's character. He knows what kind of person she is. And it's as he's thinking, I want you to notice, it's as he's thinking that the Lord speaks to him. The contrast with Herod is clear. He, verse 3, when Herod heard this, that's been born a king of the Jews, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So what's the contrast? Why read the Bible for yourself when you need somebody else to do it for you? He assembles people. Listen, it's what he's doing. He's assembling people to do his thinking for him. And friends, let me just tell you this. If you will vacate, That role in your own life, I can assure you, somebody will do the thinking for you. Somebody will tell you what to think. Somebody will tell you, here's the way the mind should be directed. We know from history that Herod's a very violent man. Uh, he, He had wives and sons murdered who threatened his throne. Joseph, as he seeks to obey the Lord, listen to me because I think this is helpful, Joseph was no doubt misunderstood and criticized, right? I mean, there's no indication from the scripture that anybody other than Zechariah and Elizabeth believed their story. Because Zechariah and Elizabeth are, of course, the, 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 the couple that are going to have John the Baptist and God's been at work in their lives. So can I give you an application? Obeying God will often lead you to being misunderstood and criticized by others. And the only person who can withstand that criticism is a person who has the character to do so. You've got to resolve this in your life. Even if nobody else (laughs) believes me, I know what the word of the Lord has said. And it is more important to me that I do what his word says than people around me agree or understand. So first, we see a contrast in their prestige. There's a contrast in their personality. And third, we'll see there's a contrast in their plans, what they actually do. Because uh, it starts with thinking, but thinking always leads to acting. So here are their plans. The interruption uh, of of Jesus reveals the hopes that these two men have. And real, real simple, here's the contrast for Joseph. Joseph's plan is to listen and obey. There's a little bitty word in here, um, right here in verse 24. I want to call your attention to Uh, Matthew 1, 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. There's two filters in your life. Here's Here's what's true of Joseph and then ask if it's true of you. He listened and then he obeyed. A lot of people won't listen to the Lord and his word at all. So one, he listens, and then having listened, he does it. And the Bible is full of this. Um, do not think that I've come to abolish the law. I've not come to abolish it, I've come to fulfill it. Therefore, I tell you, whoever whoever um, teaches uh, others to do the law and does them himself will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Oh, may this be a warning for all of us not to be hearers of the word only. This just entered my mind. Who said that? James. Who's James' dad? Joseph. He had lived it out before his own son, which we'll see more about in a moment. One thing I love about Joseph, let's mark a couple of characteristics of him, is he doesn't leave. He doesn't bail. Again, there's no record that anybody believed their story except for Elizabeth. So these weeks and months of um, criticism and uh, gossip about Mary and Joseph uh, are, are there. Look at Luke 2. If you're in Matthew, just flip over to Luke chapter 2. Uh, you'll know these verses around Christmas time. We often uh, see them. Uh, Luke 2 verse 1, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, uh, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the, t- the time came for her, get it out in a moment, to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And look over at Luke chapter 2, verse 16, when they went with haste the shepherds after they'd heard about what had happened and found Mary and Joseph. Now it's evident from Luke's gospel, uh, as he begins his gospel, he talks about how he talked to many eyewitnesses. And no doubt, one of the eyewitnesses that he talked about as he was writing the Gospel of Luke is Mary. And as you read through the uh, details of the arrival of Christ, there's an emphasis that Joseph was there. And I want to say this to all of us men in the room because we inherited this from Adam. And what we have inherited from Adam is a spiritual... Uh, negligence. You see, in Genesis 3, what does Adam say in Genesis 3? And say or do anything. And this is what we, I believe, as men have inherited. That, that will we'll, we'll step away very readily. I want you to see that Joseph is there. Every reason in the world to bail. I mean, you just think about it. I mean, where's Jesus born? In a stable. Do you think that Joseph wasn't sitting there saying, I can't believe this is the best I've been able to do for my wife? A stable, right? but he did what he could, and he did not leave. Joseph never speaks in the Bible. There's not a quote attributed to Joseph, right? But we know, it's at least implied, we know one thing he did say. The angel says to him, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will, be, oh, he will save his people from their sins. So men, I just encourage you, you don't have to be a a man of many words because at the end of the day, actions always speak louder than words. And the greatest actions you'll ever do are the actions that are a result of taking time to carefully consider what it is the Lord would have you to do. In his own time and place, Herod's Words were taken very very seriously. No doubt, in his own lifetime, there were thousands of pages of his decrees and his declarations. And in in his own lifetime, one of the most important phrases that got people moving and doing, no doubt, was Herod said so and so. But friends, all that is dust and dirt now in comparison to his name is Jesus. And I want you to see that a way a man lives has great impact on the next generation. So uh, one more thing that we want to see is a contrast of what we're able to see of these two men and their sons. So you're in Luke, if you're still there, look with me in Luke chapter 23 verses 6 and beginning in verse 6. Herod had ruled with uh, such an iron fist that one thing he had provided was stability after his death, it all fell apart. And so the Romans, one of the people they sent in was Pontius Pilate. You see him in Luke 23, verse 6. When Pilate heard this, he asked, this is Jesus stands before him, whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, now this is not Herod from Matthew 1, this is one of his sons. Herod was a common name in those days, so we sometimes get it confused. But, so this is Herod of Matthew 2, his son. When he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated Jesus with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. That's Herod's son. And that's how a lot of men, a lot of women grow up to be. Just they mock Jesus. Nothing's sacred. Nothing's holy. Nothing's pure. Notice Herod's son, this Herod, is standing for Jesus on the precipice of the most important event in history. And all he can think to do is say, do some magic trick, Jesus. And when Jesus doesn't comply with what he wants him to do, they mock him. Nothing's serious. Everything's to be made fun of. Everything is a a late night talk show. And uh, there's nothing sacred or pure or holy in Jesus Christ. I want you to see this. A person can get this place in their life. Jesus Christ himself stands before him. And the only response out of his heart is to That is the descendant of Herod. So I want you to see that your heart has impact on the next generation. In contrast, turn with me to the book of James. Written by the son of Joseph. Brother of Jesus. (laughs) I love this. You think this man had some background to this statement? James 1, 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And that, friends, could be epithet the the, uh, the we we'll just the writing on herod's tombstone couldn't it blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial you think it's perhaps his mind went to his dad in this for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which god has promised to those who love him We've talked a whole lot about the contrast between Joseph and Herod. I do want to show you one thing they've got in common. And not only do they have it in common, you've got it in common with them too. So we're going to go back over here to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 in verse number 19. Little word there again. I want to call your attention to, but when, w h e n, Herod, another little word, died. Do you see it? Uh, Herod had, uh, in his own time, not only built things for our, uh, the hippodrome and the temple, he had also built built himself a palace. It was this famous three tiered, three large. Um, uh, column or not columns but uh, three large towers that he that he lived in Joseph we don't really know well as we've read he spent at least this portion of his life just bouncing around from uh, Bethlehem down to Egypt down to Nazareth and no no glamorous home right and uh well, what I want you to see is for all of Herod's power all of Herod's prestige, all of Herod's, I've got a friend, his name is Julius Caesar. I've got a friend, his name is Augustus Caesar. For all of that, verse 19 still happened. Doesn't say, but if Herod died, what's it say? When Herod died. And uh, anybody want to get on an airplane and go to Herod's Hippodrome today? I'm going to go to the temple today, Man, it's been gone for hundreds of years. You see this little baby born in this lowly stable. Do you know where he is right now? Exalted and at the right hand of the Father. One more verse before we close. It's a word of warning for us. So I think that's what's happening here is we see in Matthew's Gospel that you've got these two men, Herod and Joseph, when Jesus comes into the world uh, and that warns us about the approaches when we go out of this world. Hebrews chapter 9. At the end of verse 26, read this. As it is, He, Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin. Praise the Lord, right? Not to shame us in our sin, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. I want you to see this for yourself. Don't be like Herod and get somebody else to read it and somebody else to think. You think through this. Verse 27, be like Joseph. Consider. Resolve some things. Verse 27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You see it? Straight from God's word. You are, you've are you got an appointment. Not a doctor's appointment or a dentist's appointment or some other appointment that you can call up on the phone and say, I need to change that. This appointment is made for you. Every person is is appointed to, the Bible says, die. That means your heart is going to stop. You put your hand on your heart right now. The beating, little tick there. Beat, beat, beat. Get your Fitbit. Wants to 76 for me, I'm a little worked up. That's it, friends. That is all that's between you and standing before him. The Bible says judgment judgment oh you can be like herod you know you, you can take on his attitude his personality that's nonsense that's foolish talk you just get all get get over the get with the times it's greek culture and roman culture has been replaced by american culture in the west i, I understand all that but these glorious huge stadiums the georgia dome 25 years blow it up move on your device that does things that you nobody ever thought a little device would be able to do and the technology is so amazing it's dust the world is fading away it will soon be past, and it's going to be like that and this heart's going to stop and those lungs that are expanding with that oxygen coming in that brain that's functioning it's going to be over it's appointed you can't change the appointment you can know it's coming but you don't know the specifics and when it happens do you see what the Bible is saying? Christ has come in humility. Overlooked. People indifferent. Just a, just a few. Mary and Joseph and Zachariah and Sibiot who longed to see him and longed to hold him and longed to behold him. And he came not for a, a little a manger scene uh, that we could think about once a year. He came, the Bible says, he's appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself so we often say but it's quite literally true he was born to die going to shed his blood on the cross for your sins my sins to be forgiven and he says just as it is appointed for man to die once Friends, this Bible is proclaiming that there's no second, there's no reset, there's no reincarnation, there's no coming back around again, and we didn't figure it out the first time, so we'll come back, as it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. And when he appears a second time, there isn't a king on earth who's going to say, now uh, where where can we find him? I'm going to tear the sky in two, and there he is. No star to lead him, he himself will be the light. He will save those who are eagerly waiting for him. To bear the sins of many. To bear the sins of Anna and Simeon and Zachariah and Mary and Joseph. And all who in humility would recognize him as king. In conclusion, Jesus is a faithful bridegroom who will not shame his bride, the church. Jesus is the reigning king who does not conspire against his enemy. Are you listening, Herod? He sacrificially offers himself to save them, whether they are wise men from the east or Nazarenes or Edomites or Romans. Christ has come and sinners are reconciled to God through him. Let's give thanks to the Lord above, that Christ has come. So, who are you? Joseph, listening and obeying and being um, teachable from the Lord? Or Herod, refusing to vacate a throne, violently opposing in anger anyone who would threaten you with the reality that you really aren't the king? Somebody else reigns. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What I would love for you to see about Jesus before we enter the invitation is he is a king that Herod in all his glory could not compare to. But he left glory and became much more like Joseph, a humble carpenter from a nowhere place called Nazareth to redeem you because he loves you. Stand together. We'll pray together. Father, I thank you for Jesus, a king who became like a carpenter's son. I thank you for Jesus. God, there's so many warnings I see. Here we have uh, elders and scribes who knew the word but didn't know the word incarnate. Oh, God, give us grace not to be like that. I pray for us as a church family, this Christmas season is not going through the motions. And we've heard these songs before. We've read these verses before. Oh, God, in Jesus' name, may we be a people who are full of joy for the coming of Christ. God, I pray by your Holy Spirit and by the word of God, he would search our hearts and know us, see if there be any wicked way in us. It's easy for us to look at Herod and say, here's all the missteps and mistakes he made far easier to do that than to allow you to search us and for us to confess and admit, I am trying to be in control of my life right now. I'm trying to be the king. I'm trying to be the queen. I'm trying to be in charge. And Father, I pray that you'd give us grace to be a little bit more like Joseph, who didn't have it all figured out. He didn't know the, uh, all the details, but he listened He was humble. He resolved some things. He heard your word and he obeyed. So Father, give us grace today to hear the word of the Lord that it is appointed for us once to die and then comes the judgment. We would confess that on our own, none of us could stand guiltless in the judgment. But our boast is Christ. It is in Christ alone that we boast that he has stood in our place. He who had no sin, suffered for our sin instead of us. We have a Savior. Fill this sanctuary up with the joyful praise of your people and the eager obedience of your church. In Jesus' name, amen.